Hello everybody, welcome to another JGT podcast with me, your host Craig Gilligan. First of all, um, I want to say thank you to everybody for your kind words and positivity about this new venture into podcasting for the trust. We are enjoying putting these podcasts together and we really do appreciate your feedback, so thank you for that. Today's guest um, is Dr. Steve Holloman. Steve is a career author. He is a university lecturer in creative writing. He's a musician, a songwriter, and one of our JGT trustees. He's a really interesting guy, um, and he joins me today with his wife, Jade. Now, we think of Steve and Jade as part of our family, to be very honest. They're, They're wonderful people, great supporters of the JGT, always very happy to uh, come along and support us when we do events um, and the kind of people you want with you um, when times are tough. I started the interview by asking Steve to talk us through what is a typical day like, uh, day in the life of Dr. Steve Holloman. I do. Uh, well, I don't like getting up in the morning, really. Never been a morning person. So yeah. wake up, feel a bit uh, miserable. Uh, potter about for a little bit and sort of drink loads of coffee, you know, three spoons of coffee in each mug. Um, listen to a bit of LBC radio or something, riles me up. Uh, and then it depends, it's, it's different on different days, so... Uh, some days I'm working down at the uni, so if I work down at the uni, I go down there and do my day job. Uh, some days I'm working at home doing writing, uh, and I tend to do that at night. So, um, you know, I, I tend to start work on my writing after my wife goes to bed. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I could be doing that at sort of one o'clock in the morning to sort of four o'clock, something like that. Uh, other days I'm in the studio with the band so it varies really there's, there's no typical day in my life and that's that's kind of how I like it um, whenever I've done jobs that are like 9 to 5 I don't really like it you know it's not really my my way of living so when do you schedule your writing then so at the end of the day or it's at or night it's, it's, right, it's okay. at night um, I, I don't know why I always I always work better at night and I always have um, and it, it's just it, it was the same when I did my PhD. I always wrote a lot of it overnight, you know. And when right. I when I, you know, it, it's just how I've always been. So I've, I've worked better at night. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm more awake at night or something like that, but yeah. So I, I tend to work through the night, go to bed about four in the morning. Really, right, right. And then get up a little bit later. But if there's if it's a day when you're in bath, obviously you can't do yeah, that. Yeah, if it's you? a day when I'm in bath, then I have to kind of get my sleeping pattern sort of back on track. So it, it's a bit. It's, it's a bit weird, so then I'll be in bed by kind of 10 o'clock and then up at sort of 6 o'clock and then down yeah. to Bath. Um, and then, but it's like I was, I was down in Bath uh, uh, yesterday and I was still home working till sort of half past two this morning. Right, right. Yeah. 
And where do you get that energy from? Is it just just the coffee, or is it just you? Or? Well, it used to be from gin. Yes, it did. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's from coffee, I think, and from enjoying what what I do. You know, I really enjoy writing most of the time. Um, sometimes it's dead difficult, um, and but it's not difficult. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you feel you're not getting anywhere with, with something, but. In, in general, it's, it's very good fun. Yeah. I love it. You know, just just going back to how you you wrote your first book, which was mostly done over gin yeah, and the bar. Yeah. To to the current, what 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 changed? What what made you want to change your your sort of lifestyle? And you and you was it just the gin really? Too uh, much gin? No. Well, <laughs> okay. So the, the first novel, then I I was doing an MA uh, in Manchester, and the reason I did that MA is because I wanted to write better lyrics, um, and I always write lyrics as prose. So that's why I did an MA in creative writing. Uh, and you had to write a novel to pass that MA, so I kind of had to do it. I, I didn't really want to. Uh, and what I used to do, because I was working at the time, a full-time job, I just used to take my laptop to the pub uh, and do like an hour every evening. It was like a routine. And I found that I could write a 1,000 words in an hour because uh, I, I write quite quick and then edit it afterwards. So I'd just go to the pub and write it that way, and that's how that one was done. Um, but then um, now... Uh, because I stopped drinking like three years ago and the reason that I stopped was just for kind of health reasons really yeah you know I yeah. was just um I was starting to look a little bit puffy I've seen some pictures on Facebook and things and you were very different I was starting <laughs> to look a little bit uh, I mean I've always now. been quite quite skinny and then when uh, my best mate uh, started sort of uh, you know making comments about my uh <laughs> my uh rapidly that wouldn't be sound by any chance would it <laughs> I thought it would be best to uh, to curtail that. So that that's why, you know, simple as that, really. Uh, and I don't miss it at all. It's fine. I'm actually yeah. quite surprised. How long has it been now without a drink? Three years, crikey. Yeah. That's, that's it's, amazing. It's, it's mad because I used to think that, um, I used to think that, like, you know, there's this cliche about, like, writers, you have a drink and it, like, fuels your creativity. Yeah, yeah. I used to think that was me. I think I got a bit too in like into like Hunter S. Thompson and that sort of stuff, and you know, but it's 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 completely untrue actually. I think that I write better now than, yeah. than I used to. What's that? What's that statement? To his life become <coughs> immeasurably better since I've been forced to stop taking it seriously. Yeah, is that Hunter exactly. S. Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that is Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, it's a classic. And there's another it? one from I don't know who it, is, it might be Auden, and he says that uh, he says I'm not a writer with a with a drinking problem. I'm a, a drinker with a writing problem. Which I quite like, <laughs> That's you know. a good one. So tell our JGT listener or oh. listeners what your current writing project is. My, well, th there's a few actually okay. because um, I've signed a publishing deal recently and um, that's for two novels and they're going to be out February next year. Yeah. So February 2021 and February 2022. Yeah. So I'm working on the edits of those that have come back from my, my publisher. Yeah. Um, so... I'm kind of dipping in and out of that and making changes on it as I go along. And then I'm also working on a new novel, uh, which is like a campus novel. So it's set on a university campus. I wanted to do something a bit different. It's like a psychological thriller, but set on a, a uni campus. And I, I've got like 46,000 words, which sounds like a lot, but it's, it's not really because I cut so much, you see, as yeah. I go along. Um, so I am dipping in and out of that, but it's miles off being done. I mean, I, I don't really think it's 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 anywhere near as good as it should be. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't show it to anybody, put it that way. Right. But it will be when I finish with it, I hope.
I, I just did what, what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, I, I wrote the novel and then I, uh, what did I do? I wrote, I wrote off to get a literary agent, basically. Mm. Uh, so you, you send samples of your work and I got loads and loads of rejections as you do. Uh, like, like, and I mean loads, you know, probably 60, 70. So, so all these yeah. stories that you hear about, you know, Harry Potter being rejected 50 times, whatever, it's probably true. Um, and then eventually I got an agent, a really good one. Went down to London, met met him, met his team. It's all it's all cool. And then when that happens, they work with you on the novel to get it as good as it can be. And then yeah. they send it out to publishers. Then you get a load more rejections. Yeah. And then eventually a, a publisher takes you on. It's hard. It's hard to get a book published, isn't it's it? Very why, hard. Why, is it, why is it so difficult? Because it's competitive. Because yeah, I mean, I've heard stories about agents and publishers receiving like, you know, getting on for a hundred manuscripts a week. Right. And. Um, I mean, they, they obviously can't possibly read all of them, so they're just sort of sifting through, I think. And uh, a lot of it comes down to, you know, you've got to find the right fit with a publisher that's right for you. And because the stuff that I write, is, it, it doesn't really fit into any particular genre. It's not like horror or sci-fi or fantasy or yeah. things that are quite big. Yeah, It's quite difficult to... Um, it, it, it's quite difficult to sell, I suppose, you know, because it's, it's a bit more niche. Yeah. And so for that reason... Um, probably more difficult to find a publisher yeah but having said that maybe it makes you stand out a little bit more I, I don't yeah really know. yeah do you think it's more important to be original or just to you know, deliver what the public want as a writer <clears throat> um neither but i think it's more important to be true to yourself yeah you know yeah. and if being true to yourself is writing something that's going to be really commercially successful then, then that's great you know you know um, that, that's absolutely fine but for me it's just about Again, because when I wrote that first novel, I had no intention of getting it published. All yeah. I wanted to do was get a good mark yeah. for IMA. Yeah. Um, and, and I really mean that. I had no intention of getting it published. So I was just writing something that I enjoyed. So yeah. for, for me, it's just about writing something that you like. Yeah. And it's the same with, with music, you know. Um, the, the sort of music that, that I've always made is like, it's quite weird, I think, mm. and difficult to listen to. Uh, well, it's you, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. just, it's just, it's just you and I'm difficult. Uh, I'm really <laughs> difficult to listen to, aren't I? So, yeah. What about previous inspirations in terms of authors, writers? What what inspired you to, <clears throat> you know, what inspires you to write? Um, well, there's a book called A Generation of the Dark Art, okay, and th- there's kind of a sort of funny story. Well, it's not a funny story, but it's more of an anecdote. I'll tell you. So I was down in Covent Garden when I was about 12 mm-hmm. and I had like a pound in my pocket and they had one of these uh, discount bookshops um, and the only book in there I could afford was this book, A Generation of the Dark Eye. It was like 50p. So I bought it and uh, I remember sitting reading it on the, on the tube. I was with my parents and it very quickly became my favourite novel and I read it over and over again and told a lot of my mates about it and then eventually because I do this sort of thing, I ended up getting in touch with the guy who'd written it. Right. And we sort of became friends. Ah. Um, although we've never actually met in person. We just, yeah. we just, to this day, we exchange a lot of emails. And then when my novel came out, I asked him if he'd provide like a endorsement for it. Yeah. Yeah. Which he did. And then when the third Creep Joint album came out, um, I asked him if we could call it a generation of the dark art, ah. to which he said, yeah. So that book had a massive influence on me, like a huge influence on me. Um, yeah, and it's by a relatively unknown author, really. Yeah, 
called James Sorrell Cameron. And yeah, it was just by chance. It was the fact that I was in the, the banana bookshop, it was called, in Covent Garden. I think it's still there, with a pound when I was like 12 years old. And it was the only book I could Amazing. Afford. And that changed my life. Amazing. That book made me want to write, I think. Can, can, can people buy that book still? It's out of print, it? but you can still get it. Can yeah, it, went, right. it came out in the 90s. So, but I've bought it for loads. I buy it for people all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, loads. But I've probably bought 20 copies of that book. We'll try to put a link in the description and try and see if we can get that yeah. to So how, how do you balance the demands of the of the uni post that you've got okay. and writing? How do you... Well... Because it's a busy commute, isn't it, and a, a busy it, life you've it got. It is, but, you know, I've, I've been doing this job now at the uni for getting on for five years. And I've said, like, so many times, yes, it, it's a lot of work mm. uh, and it can be stressful, but I genuinely don't feel like I've got a job. I've said that. I absolutely love it. You know, I really really do yeah um i'm still as energetic about it as i've ever been um you know i and it's a job to be proud of you see that that was always the thing because b- before I, I did the job at the uni i'd done my phd and i couldn't get a job so i was working in a call center nothing wrong with that but i just felt like i'd, I'd failed or something yeah and so when i got the the job at the the uni i uh i was so proud of it and i still am and it's just never got old so, you know, for me, it, it all it all comes under that umbrella of, of creative writing. You know, I teach creative writing and I am lucky enough also to be now paid to write you know, yeah. in terms of my, my novels yeah. uh, and even music ties into it. So it, for me, it, it can be a lot of work, but it's always different. And I, I, I just love it. Yeah. I'd, I'd happily do it for the rest of my life. You know, it's, mm. it's the first time because I've had quite a few jobs. It's the first time I've done something I've thought. You know, I'd very happily do this for the rest of my life until I retire. I think you've it. just described what success is because it's not having loads of money. It's no. been it's it's thinking about well, what you do every day. You know, as you do, but you know, clearly you're having a, a good time, and yeah. I think that's what's important. Um, so you've mentioned a book that that was massively yeah. uh, influential. What about sort of a band or a genre? Because music's a huge yeah. part of your life. What about a particular? Well, my favorite band ever since I was eleven. It's been Metallica. Right. <laughs> and it's weird because I don't really like that sort of music. So all the bands that you would pigeonhole into the same uh, box as, as Metallica, so bands like Iron Maiden and Anthrax and Slayer and, uh, I don't know, Megadeth, I don't really listen to any of them. But there's something about Metallica that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, that has changed my life as well. The music that I make sounds nothing like Metallica, but it, it was listening to Metallica that made me realise what the distortion button on my little tech <laughs> amp did. And that when I pressed it, it masked the fact that I played yeah. very sloppily, yes, yeah. uh, which therefore made me fall in love with it. So what, what makes it memorable? What makes Metallica's music memorable? Well, well, for me, what makes it memorable is the fact that when I heard it, I'd never heard anything like it before yeah. in my life. You know, all I'd heard was stuff like uh, the Beach Boys, who I still listen to. Oh, and you know stuff my parents were listening to yeah um whereas when i heard metallica it was just really exciting for me and it, that really made me want to play guitar right um, uh, and so and it, it made me want to play that sort of aggressive style of music yeah. that, I, that i now play so so i think i can hear that in the in the way you play guitar and the way you write lyrics you can see the two worlds mm. Yeah. coming together there from from the you know your writing and the authors and the music so how how do you improve as a musician and a songwriter i mean do, do you sit and practice scales and chords or, or do you just no. 
do it. I probably should. <laughs> um, so when I when I learned to play guitar, because I had lessons, and I'm still mates with um, the people who taught me. Um, you know, I still see them, and they wanted to teach me theory, so they wanted to teach me chords and scales. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's important, uh, but I was never interested. I just wanted to learn songs. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to either learn a song that I could take and sing at you know the acoustic night at the pub down the road. Or I wanted to take in a cassette of Metallica and say, work out that riff and tell yeah. me how to play it. So in terms of scales and stuff and chords, I don't really know them. And it's even worse now because now I tune my guitar differently. So I've got absolutely no idea of what I'm playing, like right. literally no idea. Right. Um, which makes it really annoying when I'm playing with people who do, yeah. you know, and I, I'm yeah. even annoying for them, not for me. <laughs> um, because they're trying to learn a song and they're saying, well, what's that? Is that an A? Yeah. I'm like trying to count it because I know what the strings tune. It's, it's all it's so unprofessional. Yeah, it really is. I'm an amateur. So where does you where does the drive for music come from? Was it? I mean, back back in school, was it a way of fitting in? Was it your thing? Because some kids are into mm. sports, some are into, you know, was was music a, a, a pathway for you through through school? It, it wasn't a way of fitting in um, because, again, <clears throat> with the type of music I play and listen to, you were just called a grebo. <laughs> something weren't you so it, it wasn't it wasn't a way of fitting in but um uh it it's just something that I, that I was always interested in and as it happened a lot of the people who I was already friends with so people I've known since reception class at school became interested in it as well and then that led me to meet more people who were also interested which of course is how I met Sam and yeah. met Joe and everybody yeah so um it, it's just something that I was always interested in and I can't really say more about it than that I begged yeah. my parents to get me a guitar which yeah. they did um, and my dad actually bless him he started taking lessons so that he could help me out wow amazing and then amazing. I kind of carried on with it and he didn't yeah it's, it's just it's, that's just how it was but you you know you made some lifelong <clears throat> friends through music haven't Definitely, you it's yeah. been an absolute you yeah. know godsend really it's been yeah, brilliant well, I met you through it really that's so, true yeah. yeah absolutely back in the day So, moving on a little bit towards uh, the, all the travel you've done recently, you've been somewhere amazing on your honeymoon. Where yeah. was that recently that you went to? Yeah, so we went to Malaysia, uh, yeah. and it's something we'd always wanted to do. We wanted to uh, see, well, we, we wanted to go somewhere a bit different that we'd never been before. You know, we'd, we'd been to America and stuff, and we yeah. wanted to see a different part of the world. We wanted to see orangutans in as close to their natural habitat as you can, yeah. really. Um, so... When, when we got married, we were we were really lucky that, that people were, were generous in giving sort of money as gifts. Yeah. So we booked this holiday and we went to, where did we go now? Let me think. We, we went to... Jane's in the room as well. Yeah, my wife is in the room. She's in the room. We went to... My wife. Yeah. <laughs> we went to uh, Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Or KL, as the cool people call it. Ah, sounds cool. Uh, spent spent a couple of days there and that was amazing. I wish we yeah. had longer there. Right. Um, but we we sort of we, we went uh, to to some of the you know the, the tourist places and had a look round yeah. and, and you know spent some time there. It was great. Then we went to 
the other, another island of Malaysia, and we went to Kota Kinabalu. And then while we were there, we used Kota Kinabalu as a sort of base, but then went to different places. So we went to Sandakan, which is where we saw the orangutans at right. the Sepalok right. uh, Rehabilitation Centre. We went round Sandakan itself. We went um, on a river cruise and we saw things like, I think they call it, they called proboscis monkeys, what they call proboscis monkeys, uh, and fireflies and things like that, which oh, I've never seen. Amazing. Um, it was just ace. And it was also, me and my wife have been together. Uh, we've been married under a year, but we've been together for nearly nine years. And we realised the longest we'd ever been together, just the two of us on a holiday, was like four days. Crikey, right. So um, we, we came back and... Uh, there was no divorce, which is nice. <laughs> She's still here now. She's still here. Still here. So what, why is, is travel important to you? Well, okay, so after my mum died, I think my dad wanted to, um, uh, you know, maybe sort of take my mind off it a bit. So my mum died when I was six. Mm. And when I was seven, my dad took me out of school for a bit and took me around the world. So we, we literally flew around the world. We went to... Uh, Singapore, then we went to Australia, then we went to New Zealand, North and South Island, then we went to Hawaii, then we went to San Francisco, then we went to New York and back home. We were away for like seven weeks. And it was about it was about this time, actually, this, this time of year in 1992. And I, ca- I, I can't say what it is, but I came back from that and I was a different person, I think, right, for the better. Right. And my dad always says that he thinks that that's, that seven weeks that he took me out of school, I actually learned more than yeah. I would have learned in a year at school. Absolutely. So... Absolutely. Um, I think that's what set the set the, uh, the the tone for it. And so then, as soon as I was old enough to, uh, me and my friends would just go on holiday. So we we used to like just go over to New York. And yeah. I've got a lot of friends in different parts of the world. So I've got friends in America. I've got friends in Australia. I've got friends in like, New Zealand, in in Moscow, in, yeah. in places. So I've just been lucky like that, you know, visiting people and meeting people. And I, I think it broadens your horizons for for one thing. And I think you learn a lot about the world and. If you learn a lot about the world, you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. it's just something I enjoy doing. I haven't tried. We, my wife and I, did something the other day where we, where we, uh, you, you can tick these boxes and it tells you how many countries you've been to. Yeah. And when when I was like, when I actually did it, I was really disappointed because I've been to something like ten percent of the world. Right. Countries. There's ninety percent I've not been to, and probably most of them I never will go to. But so yeah. you were you were six or seven then when Dad took you out of school for. I was, well, it was 1992. Uh, yeah. It was March of 1992, so I would have been seven. Yeah. yeah. And you were out for for a year, was it? Or no, for I was out a, for seven weeks. So, so like a, well, right, so yeah. perhaps half a term or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about your mum, Steve. What, what can you remember of your okay. mum? Well, it, it's difficult to know what I remember and what I've been told that right. I remember. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my mum was like a stay-at-home mum. Yeah. You know, she she worked as a school teacher, and then when I was born. Uh, she stopped work. She became a supply teacher for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and my dad had had a good job and he used to commute to London. So for the first sort of five years of my life, I guess, my mum brought me up. And then, of course, when she became ill, because the, the, the period of time from her getting ill and her passing away was not very long. It mm. was like literally five or six months from being absolutely fine, like no indication of anything, to suddenly she's not there anymore. Mm. My dad's quit his job. You know, he's looking after me now. Uh, we've moved house because my dad doesn't want to have to live in the same place. Of course. So it's like a massive change, like dead quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so my dad did a great job of shielding me from it. But what people tell me, so people like my grandparents, 
uh, on my dad's side, they used to, they always used to say that I'm a lot like my mum. Right. I mean, she she had a sort of creative streak. She used to do a lot of art and things. She used to write as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, unfortunately, I don't have any examples of that. You know, I don't know yeah. where it, I don't have it. I wish I did. Uh, and so, I, I think that a lot of my personality comes from her. So I'm told. But um, in terms of memories, I just remember that you know, just you, you sort of you remember things like you know like day trips to like Longton Park yeah. little little yeah. things like that don't you yeah, the absolutely. memories are quite sketchy yeah and I'm sure some of them are invented memories that I've made up yeah I'm sure they must be and was it was it cancer that it was a brain tumour a brain tumour yeah. yeah yeah and it moved it moved quickly over a period of a few months and really by the yeah. sounds of it yeah Crikey. so it was literally in the and again I'm going on what I've been told here so around September October of 1990 of 1990 yeah everything was fine mm. and then at the beginning of october suddenly something wasn't quite right mm. so they were like mm, i wonder what this is and then four months later in february she was in the dougie mac yeah and two months after that in the april she died Crikey. it was that quick goodness me so quick goodness me it moved mm. it moved very very quickly yeah. and then of course uh, you you were great friends with joe yeah, and you you would have experienced that again because obviously yeah. Joe had a you know, brain tumor. So so I mean, Joe was sort of eighteen when he was diagnosed, yeah. twenty when we lost him. So how old were you then, Steve? When ten years uh, it ago, was, I would have been uh, about twenty-two. Yeah, and what are your you know memories of Joe? I mean, good times, I suppose. Yeah. you and Sam and Joe. I mean, you. Well, well, my memories of Joe. Are, I mean, my earliest memories are that obviously me and Sam used to hang out, and we were probably about twelve at the time. When yeah, me and Sam started hanging out. And Joe used to come out with us on his little green bike. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd just be sort of following us around, you know. Yeah. We'd, be, we'd be happy to have him there. Um, and that was great. But then as Joe got older, and particularly as Joe's interest in music started to coalesce with mine, yeah, um, I, I became mates with Joe kind of in his... It wasn't as though... Because at first, Joe was my best mate's brother. Yeah, right. sure. But then later on, Joe was my mate as well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, me and Joe sometimes used to do stuff without Sam being there. And yeah. That was great. We used to see each other's bands. We used to we used to hang out. We used to text each other. Oh, right. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I mean, obviously I remember his sense of humour. And I remember him taking the mick out of Sam. Yeah. <laughs> which was always really funny. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I just remember... Um, I, I remember the fact that m me and him had been talking about we we wanted to start a little music project together yeah uh and he he was going to play drums in it and i was going to play guitar uh and unfortunately we never got to do it and i always think to myself like i would have loved to have heard what yeah. that would have sounded like yeah. i've got no idea absolutely we were just yeah. going to turn up and jam i think he was just finding his feet as a drummer when he became ill because obviously mm. sam was sam so good and and he was always kind of yeah, i suppose in sam's shadow to a certain extent yeah. but then he was just starting to really you know, come into his own, I think, when he became ill. Well, I, I remember when I... Because my band at the time uh, played with Joe's bands. Yeah. We played with Trial of Origin. We played with Laredo. Oh, uh, right. Um, and we played with... Wolf Shit. Wolf Shit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we did. We, yeah. we played with them. And I remember particularly the Laredo stuff. Uh, I really... I, I really I loved that band actually, and um, yeah, they were I, great. I remember Joe's Joe's drumming was really something else. We played with them at Fat Cats once. It was in two thousand and seven, I think, maybe the start of two thousand and eight. Um, 
and yeah, it was. A, in fact, that picture on the wall was taken at that gig. Ah, that we one. played at that. Right. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was a, it was an awesome gig. Yeah, it was an awesome gig. Yeah, we think well. There's not not that many memories to think back on for those times, mm. but you know we do think of them a lot, don't we? Mm. Those um, times when you played with the band there. Um, so co- coping with with the dark times and difficult times, Steve. Mm. Do you have any particular you know strategies when you're having a bad day that it, you know gets you gets you through it, or uh, is it music? Is it reading? How do you? To to be honest, I don't tend to have bad days. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I make all these jokes about being grumpy all the time. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't say that I use writing or music. M- maybe I do use writing as a, and music as a means to deal with stuff, but, but I think mm. I use it to deal with it before it arises. And that's why I don't have bad days. I don't really know. Perhaps if I stopped doing it, then I would start to have bad days. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't really, I mean, some people go to the gym, um, I mean, I, I like going for a walk in the countryside. I mean, that's always nice, isn't it? But I don't yeah, really, absolutely. I don't really have particular strategies for dealing with, with. So when you were getting all those rejection letters, all those, mm. all that failure. I mean, was there the times when you must have thought, you know, yeah, I'm going to do something else. Forget this. You know? There were. Yeah. Yeah. Right. On more. What kept one, you going? Yeah. What? On more than one occasion. Yeah. But then, for, that just made me dead frustrated, and then it made me a bit angry, and then it made me think, right, I'm going to show you. Yeah. And I'm not a physically aggressive person but I do have a way with words and so it just made me want to write something more cutting yeah and more yeah. forceful and more persuasive so um it, it it worked to my advantage in a way I mean those rejections are it, the first few times it happens you're just like okay this happens to everybody but when you get to 50 or 60 rejections yeah but at the same time you know I'm I'm not averse to rejection to get the job that I've got now I kept a spreadsheet when I was applying for jobs. I applied for 148 jobs, Crikey. you know, right. um, which means I had 147 rejections before yeah. I got it. So, and there were all sorts of jobs that I was applying for, not just university jobs. Uh, it's, it's difficult, but you've got to keep going. Yeah, and I guess that's that did. absolutely. And you, know, I suppose that's why you've got to be prepared to travel as well. To yeah. you know, because obviously Bath, Bath is a you know, long journey, but it's yeah, worth it. It's definitely worth um, the podcast to make it more bearable. Yeah, absolutely. It's going well so far, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the room's full of people. There's lots of people in the room with us. <laughs> so what do you make of this 2020 so far? What a grim start. Yeah. We've had floods and we've had storms and we've had, you know, celebrities, you know, killing yeah. themselves and, and obviously the, the, the virus and stuff. What a, what, a, what a grim start to the year, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's... It's like nothing I've ever known in my life, particularly yeah. the stuff with with what's going on with coronavirus at the moment. Yeah, um, I think it's probably it's, it's early days, isn't it? I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I mean, I'm mm. I'm lucky enough in the sense that my job can be done from home. It's going to be done in a different way. Yeah, but we can we can do online teaching and we can find a way around that. Mm. But there are there are people who will not be that fortunate. I mean, only last night, actually, I was thinking about my publishing company. They're a small independent publishing company, yeah. Inf- Influx Press. Yeah. You know, companies like that could really suffer. You know, um, bars, pubs, hospitality, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, theatres, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. had a mate who's had to cancel his wedding. Really? Because he can't, yeah. he, he can now no longer pay for it because he's um, he will be out of work for the foreseeable future and he's Crikey. self-employed. Right. Uh, he just texted me this morning. 
because I was meant to be going over for his wedding. Yeah. So it's a very difficult time. It's going to be difficult if you work, you know, musicians, isn't it, with theatres closing yeah. and venues and things. Yeah, people not being able to travel, people not being able to tour. Yeah, absolutely. And that had already been made difficult, I think, by by Brexit, and now it's all it's been made even more difficult by this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, I, I know many of those people, and they've got young families and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I mean, I'm not going to mention any names, but you know the people I'm talking about because we yeah. live in the same circles, lots of them. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I do really feel for them. And yeah. to be honest, my own, uh, my, my, my own worries about it um, are not about myself. They're about other people that I'm close yeah. to. Absolutely. To be honest. And I, I feel fortunate for that, but at the same time, very sorry for. Mm. The, the millions of people that this is going to affect absolutely are you are you big into social media steve do, do you use that much are you uh well i wrote my phd on facebook and how it could be used as a narrative tool yeah. so i got really into that around 2012 but not not so much now because um i don't really understand twitter mm. and it seems like quite a nasty place yeah from what i've seen of it um instagram I don't really do, yeah. Because again, I don't really understand how it works, and I think that it can be. And the other thing is, I have got a very addictive personality. <laughs> like, and if we I, know, yeah. And sometimes that works to my advantage, and yeah. sometimes it works to my detriment. So yeah. I wouldn't change it at all. But if I got into posting photos of, uh, you know my rabbit on Instagram <laughs> every day yeah. that it would take over my life and I'd yeah. be looking and seeing how many people had liked it and if only a hundred people had liked it today but 150 people liked it yesterday it would put me in a mood so um, is, it, is it fair to say JD's got an all or nothing personality that is very very true all or nothing that is true and I always have I think you're right about Twitter being a, a lethal weapon I mean mm. I, I think that's largely beha- behind Caroline Flax yeah in suicide recently, isn't it? That she just couldn't live up to the profile, mm. and um, you know, it, and we see, we 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 see it in schools because it's a bit like road rage. You, you you're safe behind your computer at home, but yeah. the minute you get face to face with somebody, you've, you've mm. got to then you know explain what what, what why you said what you said. Yeah. So it's um, well, a friend of mine's wrote a book about it, a very good book, yeah, um, about social media uh, bullying. It's a novel for young adults by Danielle Joando. It's called And the Stars Are Burning Brightly. It's a great novel. Right. And it's all about the effects of cyberbullying and people being bullied over social media. Yeah. And the fact that nowadays, it's like people have always been bullied at school, haven't they? Yeah. But in the past, you could go home and shut the door and they yeah. couldn't get to you. Whereas yeah. now, they can get yeah. to you 24-7. Absolutely. That's the difference. Yeah. I think. How would you live up to some of the profiles that are out there if you're, if you're a young girl or boy at school and you see some of these images of people? They're just not real, are they? They're just completely... Uh, yeah. Somebody told me of a term the other day called cat- catfishing. Oh, that's that's an old one. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, is it? That's been around for yeah. That's eight, when you when you social media profiles not, not yeah. really you or something. Yeah, I don't know. and they call them sock puppet accounts and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Cat. There's a, a film called Catfish that's just about is that. It? I think it came out around like 2013, something like that, maybe before. So that's not a new thing. Right. But I think that maybe more and more people are doing it now. Catfishing. Maybe. Catfishing. Catfishing. What a term. Yeah, and don't forget this TikTok. Yeah, TikTok's another one. That's another. I appeared on that recently. I'll I'll show you later with some kids at school. Yeah, I've seen people do TikTok. I just don't get it. And like, like my my nephews, they're well into this. Yeah, and Snapchat and yeah, it's like the Snapchat. 
the, the point of it is you send a message, then it erases itself, doesn't it, after 10 seconds or something? Yeah, I think so, but yeah. But then you can, you can take a screenshot of that message anyway and save it, so I don't understand what, what the point of it is, but they, this, that's me showing my age and my... Uh, I'm more social media savvy than you are, I think, Steve. I'm a bit of an IT dude, I am. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. You probably are. I I can't (laughs) fix anything. You know, I put my back out the other day putting a bolt on the door. It took me about an hour. Because I'm a bit of a maverick. I sort of had one foot on the kitchen counter, one on the ladders. I was leaning over, you know. Seriously, my back's still hurting now, and it was 10 days ago. You know, it's, you know, same with social media. I just don't, you know, I don't approach it in the right way, and then it frustrates me, and I can't get on with it. Gets the better of you. Mm. It does get the better of me. So, what's next for Steve and Jade? What is the what is the still to achieve? What do you want to do? What's what's happening? What's the plans? We were hoping to go on holiday, but we yeah. can't now because of uh, uh, coronavirus. But in the scheme of things, that's not important. Um, I don't know what is next. No, because uh, Jade, you've got your own kids. business, haven't you? Yeah. Jade's got your own bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you just say, kids? We, we might have oh. kids. Who knows? Um, uh, first born has to be called Craig Craig or Paolo or Paolo Paolo um, Paolo's the one uh, that, that's a, a, a private Paolo Shireen yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact he could appear in your psychological thriller well, you mentioned at the yeah, start could. Paolo Shireen I've said Maybe that, that I am going to do that I will honestly I get will. him in there but I Maybe won't it. tell you when I've done it and then I'll know whether you've read it or not because yes. if you do read it you'll come to me and say you've done it and if you uh. never mention it I'll know you've not read it so that'd be, that'd be one. Um, but yeah I, I don't to be honest, I don't plan that much, um, really, uh, which is weird because I do like to be in control of things, yeah. but I like to be in control of them as they happen. I don't tend to plan that much. I don't think I ever have. Yeah. I don't really know what the future holds. I, I hope that the future holds more more of the same because I very much enjoy what I do and I wouldn't want it to change particularly. You know, yeah. love where I live love the sort of circles of friends that I move in and the, the life that I've got. I don't really... You're a success, I think, Steve. You're a success. Well, I'm not where I want to be yet. But yeah, you're getting there. I'm getting, yeah. I've but, you know, you, you're sort of happy happy on the journey that you're on. You don't... Oh, totally. Which I think That's is... true. I've got nothing to complain about whatsoever. And That's I mean, refreshing to hear, isn't it? That's lovely. Well, it's true. Yeah. And which is because I, I do moan a lot. But I moan a lot because I think it's funny. Yeah. I don't moan a lot because I've got anything to actually moan about, yeah. really. Yeah. I can't think of anything. No, the hair's looking good. Yeah, I, well, I, had, I was I was bald when, I, when that came out because uh, you smoked, didn't you? you had a cigarette a and a gin and a cigarette and a gin. Bald head. I was. Uh, what did you see in him, Jade? I don't know where. I don't know where yeah. how this happened. No, because Jade met me before before I shaved my head. I've shaved my head a few times, and I've. Fluctuate. I'm, I'm basically like a concertina or an accordion. I have so no, that's what yeah. my weight goes like. Well, it's the all or nothing thing again, isn't it? You can't, you know, you can't moderately diet. You've got to just, whoosh, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, and then I, I can't moderately put it back on. Yeah, again. You've got to just shovel it. I've got to, yeah, exactly. And that's happened a few times. Although you know, I've, I'm, I've kind of been a, a, a regular weight. What I call a regular weight now. I've been the same weight. Yeah. For a couple of years. Talking of food, and this is a bit of a tenuous link, the first time we met Jade, you worked at the Swinniston Arms, yeah. and we didn't yeah. know, apart from you had the JGT wristband on. Yeah. Small world, isn't it? And do you know what Marg said? She said, oh, you look just like a little angel. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Crikey. Right, Steve, thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to end it there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jade. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Steve Holloman and the lovely Jade. Thanks very much. Great to have them with us for the morning. Steve may well have an all or nothing personality, but there goes the highly intelligent, very switched on person who enjoys his job, enjoys his music, enjoys his life. What a great lesson for us all. Uh, now the music we've listened to this morning, there's been extracts of Creep Joint. Um, please check them out on creepjoint.co.uk. We've listened to Wheatfield with Crows, an extract of Violet, Magnetique and Swan Song Epic. We hope you've enjoyed this JGT podcast and we'll see you next time.